we started a little series last week on, on, on the love of God. And last week we told you, you are the one that God loves. I want you to put your hand on your chest and I want you to say, I am the one who God loves. Amen. And we told you that the love of God for you is extreme. Remember that? How many of you were here last week, by the way? You were at the church service. Okay, that looks like just about 50% of you. So about 50% of you didn't make it. But we said that God's love for you is extreme. And then we said God's love for you is... Uh-huh. You see how you need to read? You need to meditate on the word? And then we said God's word for you is... You see that how the devil comes and steals the word? And then doesn't profit you. Say hallelujah. Say the love of God is extreme. The love of God for me is extravagant. And the love of God for me is everlasting. That means it just doesn't end. Hallelujah. I want to continue that series. But I want us to go today to 3 John. Excuse me. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to read to begin our message today from verse 1 to verse 3. Hallelujah. You know, we know about the importance of laying a solid foundation when you're building a house. And you know that if the foundation is weak, the house is always at risk of collapsing. Especially when it has to deal with strong winds and heavy storms. And when the foundation is weak, the house probably will not last very long. And so it's so, so important, right, when you're building a house that you lay and take the time to lay the foundation. Even more important, when you're building a life, the most important thing you can do, if you want to have a life that is capable of facing every test, every trial, the winds of adversities. If you want to have a life that will overcome, if you want to have a life that is, that is fearless and that enables you to obey God and do God's will no matter what, it's very important that you lay the right foundation. And here is the foundation that is unshakable, that God wants each of us to build our lives on. Every life in this church, I pray, should be built on the revelation of the love of God for you. That is the only unshakable foundation. Knowing and believing the love that God has for you and has revealed to you and demonstrated to you and given to you in Christ Jesus. Build your life on the unshakable foundation of God's love for you. Make it your business every day. No matter what else you do, what else you study, Make it your business every day to take some time and just 
meditate on and remind yourself and reestablish and reaffirm your conviction of God's love for you. That is the solid and unshakable foundation that will enable you not just to live, but to live as an overcomer. Let's read this, this passage now. Everybody, behold, what man of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hallelujah. Everyone, go back to verse 1. Behold, say behold. behold. In other words, John is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at this. I want you to study it. I want you to be intent and intense in your focus on the love that the Father has bestowed on you. Behold. Look at this. Meditate on it. Be intentional. Consider the love that the Father has bestowed upon you. Behold, that word also uh, calls our attention to the overwhelming emotion that John is experiencing when he considers the fact that he is a child of God. And his response is similar to what you and I do when something happens, when we see or hear something that is so unimaginable, that is so awesome. It's something that is far beyond what we would expect. It's beyond normal. And we respond and we say, wow. That's all you can say, wow. Anybody have ever had that kind of experience when something happens that is so amazing or so unimaginable or so far out that it boggles your mind, it's difficult for you to comprehend, it has such an impression upon you emotionally, you don't really have words to adequately express, and so all you can do is exclaim, wow. Wow, uh, last, I think it was last week, there's a spiritual, spiritual son I have in the area, belongs to another church, but we've been in a relationship for a few years now, and it's his habit. Every year he would come and see me just to say thank you. Thank you, Bishop, da, 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 da. I don't feel I do much, but he's very, very appreciative. So he comes, and maybe once or twice, just to say thank you. And so this time, he said, Bishop, I want to meet with you. My wife and I are coming. So they came. And we sat in the office and we talked and again, what he usually does, thank God for me and all of that. And then 
before he left, he handed me an envelope. Now, he, he usually would do that. And then we would pray. And so he handed me an envelope and we prayed. Then I put it on my desk. I didn't open it right away. But after a while, I headed for my vehicle. When I got in my car, I did open the envelope. And I said, wow. <laughs> now, I don't have to say anything more. I just want you to, I, I said, wow. I didn't say wow once. I said, wow. And then I said, wow again. <laughs> Amen. Because it was beyond what I expected. I didn't, I don't feel I deserve it. And he certainly didn't have to do it. But he chose to do it. Just like God didn't have to do what he did. But he just chose to do it. And what he did was far beyond what I expected. And so my response was, wow. That's what John is doing here. John says, wow. You mean... God loves me so much that I, someone like me, me, I am God's child. Now, the reason we don't say wow is because we don't fully comprehend the depth of that love. We don't. We don't fully comprehend what being loved by God like that means. And we don't fully comprehend the privilege that we have that we are called children of God. You got to hear me, me, someone like me. Come upon your finger to yourself. Say me, someone like me, God's child. You mean the creator of the universe is my own self? Papa? Daddy? Say however you say in your language. But consider that. I am someone like me. I am, oh, someone needs to say that. This is not theology. This is not rhetoric. This is not play play. This is not just imagine. This is real. Imagine all your life believing you're nobody. One day you discovered you are the son or the daughter of a king. But we are much more than that. We are the sons of God. Now, John said, not tomorrow. We haven't yet fully comprehended. We're going to spend the rest of our days on earth fully, hopefully growing in our comprehension. But we are already sons, daughters of the creator of the universe. Wow. You mean I'm a member of that family? I'm not talking about President Biden's family. I'm not talking about Donald Trump's family. I'm not talking about Prince Charles's family. I'm talking about I am a member of, everybody point, 
that family? Where God is Father, Jesus is Son, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of that trinity? I am a member? Oh God, open my eyes. I want to comprehend this. I want to understand this. And my prayer for you is that you would comprehend this, that you would grasp this, that you would, un because hear me, I cannot imagine fully comprehending that and ever one day spending a minute worrying or being afraid. Can't imagine it. One more time. I, a child, of God, a member of that family that created the universe, that runs the universe, that owns all things. <laughs> so John says, what man of love, what miraculous love, what marvelous love, what foreign kind of love. Where did this kind of love come from? That someone so great, so powerful, so awesome, who doesn't need me, yet has chosen to make me his child. Now hear me, I know God is love, right? And, and you can help someone. I mean, you could, it's possible that you could see someone who is, you know, has a, a, maybe a woman with children, and she's, she you know, doesn't have any income and the children are hungry and the, the house that they're living in is broken up, broken down and moved by compassion and pity, you can decide you're going to help her, right? And you can go in there and you can fix the house. You can you know, buy clothes for the children and just do a lot of good things for them. Give them money. You can do all of that without having to make them your children. It's unnecessary. I can help you without making you my child. I still got my own children. I will help you and I will help you much because I have pity. But nothing requires that I make you my child. God didn't have to make us his children. God could have looked down from heaven and have pity on us. Have compassion on us. See our condition. See our situation doesn't want us to go to hell. And so he could come up with a plan in order to save us, in order to deliver us from hell. He could have done all of that. There was nothing that required that he makes you or me his child. He did not have to make us his children to save us from hell. There's only one reason why God was not satisfied with just saving you from hell, why God wanted you and me to be his children, and that is because he loves you so much. So when John comprehends, God is saying, God, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to make me your child. You could have saved me from hell without making me your child. You already had your beloved son, Jesus. You could have been good to me without making me your child. Why did you make me your child? The answer is the extreme love of God. 
The answer is the extravagant love of God. The, the answer is the everlasting love of God. No, it's the marvelous love of God. The miraculous love of God. The out of this world, foreign, unimaginable love that God has. Oh my goodness. Raise two hands to heaven and say, God, show me. You're worried, you're depressed, you're discouraged. It's so unnecessary. So, so unnecessary. You are a child of that God. You belong to that family. And God's love for you is extreme. Come on, raise your hand and say, thank you for your great love. Open my eyes, oh God, that I may see the love you have for me. Behold, what man of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called what? So God has made you his child. You are. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God. Keep meditating on that truth. Keep studying it. Keep asking God to reveal it to you more and more and more. Refuse to let go of it. You are. I am. We are. The children Children of God. Now hear me. We know that Adam was created in the image of God. And we know that Adam fell. But we make a mistake when we think that in redemption, what God does is simply restore us to where Adam was. No, no. In Jesus, we gain far more than Adam had. God never said of Adam like he says of us, you're my child. Before Adam sinned, he was innocent. Before Adam sinned, he was a creature of God. Before Adam sinned, he had a relationship with God. But God never called Adam his child. Adam was in the garden, and there was only one son, Jesus. Adam and Jesus were not mutually of both children of the Father. Had Adam partaken of the tree of life, he would have become a child of God. But he was never a child of God. So in redemption, God does not just restore you to where Adam was before he fell. In Jesus, God takes you far beyond Adam, who was just a creature created in the image of God. He goes far beyond that, and he puts you right in the center of his family and makes you his child. Adam would have been jealous of you. Hmm? And then you, you, you sorry for yourself? And we have the audacity, audacity to say at times because that's how we feel God has forsaken us. God has abandoned us. God doesn't care for us. God, 
<laughs> take, me, take, me to, take me to the book of uh, Zephaniah, please. Zephaniah chapter 3. Take me there to verse 16 and verse 17. Hallelujah. Let's read this. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, let not your hands be weak. Next verse. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you Oh, no, 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 no. How many fathers here you, you can remember, if you still have young kids or when you did have young kids, a, a baby, holding your child in your arm and just rocking your child? Maybe the child was crying or disturbed and you reached down, you picked her or him up, held her in your arm and just rocked her or rocked him to sleep. What kind of fathers are these? Okay, I want you all to stand. All the men, I want the men to stand. If you have done this, I mean, the men who know you've done this. How did that feel? Hmm? Come on, go back to how it felt when your child made in your image who came out of you, that girl, that boy, whatever it was, he or she was crying, disturbed. What did you do? You reached down. You picked him. You picked her up. You brought her close to your chest. You began to just rock her. And you probably either sang to her or started making some strange songs, sounds. You were what? Rejoicing over her with gladness. You acquired to him with your love. You were rejoicing over your child with singing. Remember that? You got that from God. You may be seated. The reason you did what you did instinctively, nobody commanded you to do it. If your wife had to tell you to do it, shame on you. No, you weren't commanded to do that. Your love for that baby caused you to go to where he or she was, reach down and hold her, and you may have been tired yourself, but right now your attention was on your child. You didn't get that from yourself. All of you stood up because the creator put that in you, and the reason he put that in you is because that's who he is. And you who are human beings, being natural and being sinful, if you will do that, how much more shall our Heavenly Father reach out to us when we're crying, when we're in pain, when we're troubled? Reach out to us, lift us up, draw us close, rejoice over us with gladness, quiet us with his love, Sing to us in the midst of our pain, letting us know daddy's here. It's going to be okay. Come on, say daddy's here. It's going to be okay. 
Weeping may endure in the night, but daddy's here. Joy is coming in the morning. Hey! You are experiencing just a little of the love, the measure of God's love for every one of his children. And you got to say, wow. Yeah, you got to say, wow. Hallelujah. You, listen to me. Feelings affect us. There are times we feel this way and we feel that way, but you need to understand there are feelings and then there is reality. Hey, just because you don't feel loved doesn't mean you are not loved. Just because you feel abandoned doesn't mean you are abandoned. There is your feeling and then there is the reality. You've got to lay hold of the reality. You've got to build your life on the reality of God's love for you. You are his child. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back upon you. He is with you. Jesus is always going to be with you. The scripture says, I will never, no, never. It doesn't just say I will never, but I will never, no, never, under any circumstance, leave you or forsake you. Why? I am your father. You are my child. Go to Isaiah chapter 49, please. Hallelujah. We're going to look at verse 14 to verse 16. Hallelujah. You know, we, we accuse God falsely because we don't understand the depths of his love. So look at this, Zion. You can put your own name there. Zion said, DJ said, Thomas said, Mary said, John said, Bangi said. Mary said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has, it's okay to admit sometimes you feel that way. We're human, we're mistaken, but our feelings can lie to us, and sometimes we listen to our feelings, and then we start agreeing with our feelings, and we start saying, just because I feel this way, it must be true, and we accuse the Lord of forsaking us or abandoning us. Like some parents abandon their children. Somehow we think God is like, like some parents. Look at how God responds. Verse 15. This is God answering that accusation. You say I'll forsake you? You say I will abandon you? Can a woman forget her nursing child? Now we want the women to stand up. You who have had children. You know how those children give you a hard time. <laughs> you know how sometimes you almost want to kill them, right? You know how far from perfect they are and how ungrateful they can be. They are exceptions to every rule, but they are rare. Listen to this. Can you as a mother forget in fact, it doesn't mean to the grown-up child, the nursing child. That's the one that is still, still feeding from your breast. Can you forget that child? 
When you are away from your nursing child, you're always thinking about I need to get home as quickly as possible in order to do what? Nurse my child. And not have compassion on the son that came out of your womb. Then listen to what God said. You cannot imagine you ever doing that. And then God says in defense of himself. God has to come to defend himself against the false accusations that, that, that we make against him. God stands up and says, listen. Even a mother may, and you already say impossible, but God is saying, even a mother, and some mothers, unfortunately, hopefully not you, but some mothers somehow manage to do that. He says, but surely it's possible. It's hard to imagine, but it's, it's within the realm of possibility that a woman could give birth to her child and forget her child. But God said, they may do it. Me? Never! Me, says God, forget you, my child. Everybody shout, never. Me, your father, you, my child. Forget you, everybody shout, So if your feelings are telling you that he's forgotten you, your feelings are lying to you. And you need to say to your feelings, never. Now look, God is still defending himself. Go to verse 16. See, I have inscribed you. The, 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 the literal translation is engraved. See, I have engraved who? You. Who? Me. On the palms of my hands. Now listen to me. I know today there's a lot of people who are tattooing. You know, they tattoo their mother, they tattoo their girlfriend, they tattoo things on their body to help them remember certain things or certain people who are dear to them. But a tattoo is made with ink. Yeah. Yeah, it's made with ink. It's wonderful, but really it's not permanent. God says, I don't tattoo you. Ah, in. Ah, what? That involves the hammer and the tools that you got to. Because the intention is, this is forever. This is permanent. This is never going to change. This is from eternity to eternity. My love for you is extreme. My love for you is extravagant. My love for you is everlasting. We're going to engrave. We're going to engrave. We're going to engrave. We're going to engrave. We're going to engrave you on the palm of my hand. (laughs) Imagine you stretching your hands out so someone can engrave on the palm of the hand, your hand 
your daughter or your son. In order to convince them and prove to them that your love for them is forever. Imagine you stretching your hand because your daughter or your son is doubting your love. I said, listen, come. Don't just tattoo their image. Engrave it in my hand because I need to convince them that my love for them is everlasting. Think about that. Then see the hands of Jesus, engraved, scarred. Charles Wesley said, for God to abandon or forget his children, the scars in Jesus' hands would have to disappear. For God to abandon or forget or forsake you, his child, the scars in Jesus' hands will have to disappear. Those scars were placed there to convince you that his love for you is extreme, extravagant, and everlasting. Thomas, put your hands in the palm of my hands and stop doubting my love for you. Stop questioning my love for you. There are a lot of things you don't understand, but there's one thing you should never question. It's my love for, for you. Now, many times when this passage or this verse is preached, we say he inscribed our names on his hands. Really, it didn't say your name, it said you. Your name is there, but it's more than just your name. Inscribed on his hands is the image of you. All that concerns you, all of your pain, all of your weaknesses, all of your hopes and all of your dreams, all of your trials, all of your tests, all of your temptations, your past, your present, your future, everything that concerns you, he has engraved on his hand. Come on, raise your hand and say hallelujah. Now you understand what John said. Wow. What manner, what type of, what marvelous, what miraculous, what extreme love is this? That God did not only save me from hell, which would have been enough, but because of his, because of his love, he went far beyond that and did what was unnecessary, but motivated by love. He says, I'm also, from this day, making you my child and a part of this family, and so that you can be forever convinced of my love for you, I'm inscribing you on the palms 
of my hand. Raise your hand. Now make a fist. You see, that open hand can quickly become a fist. God will contend with those who contend with his children. Oh, did you hear me? <laughs> the same kind of love he has for you, to the degree that he loves you, to the degree he hates those things that are against you. And while he loves you, he has a fist ready to protect you from that which will seek to destroy you. This is God's word to you. This is my message to you. Child of God, this is your inheritance. You are God's child. Lay hold of this. Never let go of this truth. Build your spiritual life. Build your emotional life on this revelation of God's love for you. God's promise to you. He's engraved you on his hands, which means you will always be on his mind. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise to you. Build your life on that revelation. Anything that comes to challenge it, reject it. Give no place to any thought that will come to you that will in the least bit question the love of God. There are many things you don't understand, and you can say, I don't understand that. I can wonder about one thing I know. I'm engraved on the palm of his hand, and I'm not just saved. I'm a member, a child, belonging to that father and part of that family in Jesus' name. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Now, as I bring this to an end, let me quote a verse from the scripture. John chapter 1, verse 12, says that he came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, so them who received him gave he the right to be the children of God. I told you Adam was a creature of God, not a child of God. All men and women are creatures of God, and to some degree, God loves every man and every woman. But not every man, not every woman is a child of God. Not every man or every woman is a member of this family that I just described. Not every man and every woman can call God Father legitimately. And God doesn't own as children every man and every woman. That privilege is for those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If you hear this afternoon or this morning and you have not yet received this wonderful gift of sonship and eternal life that 
comes to all those who confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, you came here today so you can hear this good news. God wants you to be his child. He wants you in his family. Doesn't have to. He's not content just to quote unquote save you from hell. He wants you to be his child. He's offered himself. He's given his all. He's given his best. He's demonstrated his love, but he cannot receive Christ for you. That is something you got to do by faith. You got to receive this gift so that it becomes yours experientially. While your heads are bowed. If you're here this morning, you say, Bishop, you know, I'm not sure that I am a child of God. I believe in God, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I have truly received Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm a religious person, but I'm not sure. Or Bishop, you know, I am living in sin. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living in sin, contrary to what the Word says, that those who receive Christ and have, have this hope will purify themselves. No, I'm not doing that. I'm living in sin. But today... I want to repent of sin and I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior or I want to just reaffirm my faith in Christ as my Savior and my Lord this morning. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just raise your hand and if you're watching online, you, you can acknowledge your need there too. Would you raise your hand? And by raise your hand, you say, Bishop, I want you to pray with me about this. I see one hand, I see another hand. I want you to pray with me. Come on, this is not the time to hold back. Just Raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to come here and I'll pray for you personally. But I just want people right now to be honest and acknowledge their need. Amen. Amen. I believe I see several hands up. All of you whose hands are raised, I'm going to be up here right after the service. And what I want you to do, please don't leave. Come here to, to this place. Let me meet you here. Let me talk to you a little bit and let me pray with you because this is so, so very important. In Jesus' name, thank you. So if you raise your hand right after the service, come here. Let me meet you and pray with you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's go ahead. We need to celebrate that. Father, thank you for the work you've done in our hearts. Continue to work in us, revealing to us more and more deeply the manner, the marvelous, the miraculous, the extreme love of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody in the house says,